Before getting stuck into the Zap to the Past podcast, please accept our apologies. The audio quality on this episode only is a little bit lacking, and that's because the microphone was damaged when we recorded it. We've done our best to clean up the audio, and we hope it doesn't mire your enjoyment, but it won't happen again. Also, sometimes we refer to an episode zero. What is episode zero? That was the pilot episode of the podcast. That's something that we talk about in these episodes, but has yet to be released, and we intend to release that episode in the future. Until then, enjoy episode one, part two of Zap to the Past. back to Zapped to the Past and our coverage of the games that were reviewed in issue one of Zap 64. I am your host, Adrian Mills, and I am joined by my good friend and C64 stalwart, Graham Raddings. Last week, we looked at our first batch of games from this issue and were impressed with Cauldron, bemused by Super Huey and turned off by Turner Nog. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, then I suggest you go and do so. If you have, then let's get on with things. Graham, Tell us what we have to look forward to in this episode. In this episode, we give our regards to Broad Street, we spend some time with the Lords of Midnight, we look at Penetrator, Shades, Web Dimensions, and spend some time with Book Rogers. Awesome. So, let's get on with the games. Okay, so um, our next game um, is uh, Give My Regards to Broad Street. Um I don't know much about Give My Regards to Broad Street. It is, as far as I'm aware, a uh, an album and a film um, released by Paul McCartney and, and probably Wings. Um, this is the 1980s. Um, and for some reason, uh, it was made into a game. Um, uh, a not very good game um, is, uh, is, is, is the least kind thing I can say about it. It's the most kind thing, sorry, I can say about it. Um, it's essentially a, some kind of top-down drive crappily around London simulator looking for tube station um, and that randomly people's faces will appear at the bottom of the screen with an arrow and a tube station that you have to get to that you've, that, that you've no idea where they are because this is not London there are uh, so it's just some representation of it the car is controlled incredibly badly this is like some it's 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 like a, a terrible you know proto GTA um, where where pavements are as high as walls because if you hit them you stop dead um, and so and, and the way it controls is that you don't hold the joystick left or right to turn right you go you you have to keep tapping it left or right to turn incrementally um, in, in in each way and it it's it's just bewildering garbage um that i just couldn't get my head around because like i kept going to tube stations and then what i could only assume was paul mccartney would get out of a car walk back and forth outside it until you pressed the fire button because there was no one there and you had gone to the wrong place and then he would get back in and off you go driving again and parts of the map were just 
a, a long straight road that led to a dead end for no reason. Like, and you could see that there was a bit more road below it. So why hadn't they just joined it up? What kind of game was this where it would make you? You just, you, I, 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 I just can't understand. I was like, when someone was designing this map, and they went, "Oh, you see that bit there? It's a dead end. Are you putting anything down there?" No. Why not? Why would I? Well, maybe join it up with that other bit of road down. No. No. Why, why would you not? I don't get it. I can't. In my head, I'm like, this is. It's this broken <laughs> from fundamentally on on every level sort of thing of like from controls to actually communicating what you've got to do. Oh, yeah, uh, you know, and, and the, the loop of the tune. Oh, oh my God. It drove me mad. This this loop of um, what was what what wing song was it? Band on the run. Um, uh, God, Jesus Christ! Um, it's, this game made me angry. It yeah. made me angry. It it's it's a game that has problems, right? And uh, and you and it's obvious why. Now there's a few things to note. So firstly, apparently this is map accurate to London. So that's the first thing to note. Apparently. The second thing to note is that the idea of the game is that you drive to those places, collect more parts of the song, and that the song that you listen to in the background actually starts to elongate. So instead of just hearing repeatedly, endlessly, band on the run, band on the run, band on the run, that bit, eventually you start to build up the, the bigger picture. So that's the plan. But what they wrapped that with was the most inexplicably difficult to control car in the whole time of car games. So all I managed to do was rotate the car fast in one direction. So, so you know, just like a real car, you know, if you want to turn left, you just go right until you're facing left. So, um, so it was impossible to control. I was trying to navigate a map, which, you know, yes, it's London, I think. And even if it isn't London or it's some kind of approximation, it was still stupidly difficult to navigate. Like you say, inexplicable choices of, you know, oh, dead ends. And, you know, an assumption that, you know, the tube stations are something that everyone knows where they are. So this didn't... I'm not sure... I mean, I'm not sure what the premise of the Give My Regards to Broad Street movie is, other than it's a, you know, a, a nod and a wink to Paul McCartney's musical talent. Other than that, I don't know what it's... And it wasn't something I engaged with when it came out, because I just remember thinking, this is going to be, be rubbish. And I seem to remember that uh, back then, of course, all, all film reviews were done by Barry Norman and Film 85. And I remember him saying it was rubbish. So that just put me off thinking, I'm never going to watch this film anyway. This tie-in is inexplicable. The idea, actually, of there being a Paul McCartney-based video game is really, really weird. No, so, you know, this is when licensing in games was just so random that I imagine there was a scramble because it was Paul McCartney, because it was, you know, Wings-related and they were popular in the 80s. No, and let's not underestimate the impact of Paul McCartney in the 80s he was he, he was huge you know he had that massive al massive album with the Pipes of Peace around that time you know he was doing duets with Michael Jackson and he was appearing you know with Linda and and all this other stuff like <laughs> Linda like a nowhere like Linda <laughs> me mate Linda Linda McCartney I don't know her anymore <laughs> you know he was a huge you know and he released um, what is affectionately known in our house as Mulligan's <laughs> Tires and that, that new year, bloody frog song he did the frog chorus, of course, for that Rupert thing. Anyway, long and the short of this whole diatribe <laughs> is that this game was crap, and it was a rubbish film, and it was uncontrollable, and it made me want to 
it made me want to find the song of band on the run and smash it to pieces because i am you know it's just it's awful there's nothing redeem no redeemable qualities about this game and i, I believe the zap review reflects that as well by saying the same thing you know in in there somewhere is an idea but somewhere along the line someone said you know just put band on the run in the background and have someone driving around london you know that there you go and they never really thought about any more of that comparably to something like ghostbusters where it's the only other game i can think of off the top of my head at that time where you're driving around a city doing stuff you know you're in you know if you can't achieve that um, that basic level with Ghostbusters, which was a year released before this, um, then you know, don't bother trying because you, you know if you're not going to add that kind of layers of complexity and control to it, and you're just going to end up with just you know torturing people with a, an awful Paul McCartney you know uh, chip version. Don't waste your time, and don't, certainly don't waste my time with it. I hated it from <laughs> the second it started to the pleasing yep. moment I awful. switched the damn thing awful, off. Awful, awful, awful. And you know, you, you can make good games around these kind of weird concepts because i will always and we'll come to i've done it i think we i think it's actually reviewed um frankie goes to hollywood yeah concept games can be done right yeah this is more of a just but a not concept like of shit and i have this in my imaginary place and i'm not going to go to a text-based <laughs> drive around london no, turn just, right just say that 90 45 yeah. degrees <laughs> turn right pick up, pick up music add music <laughs> to degrees. no well in, in my in my in my place I imagine that at some stage during this game's development, Paul McCartney was presented with this. And I imagine him just giving that kind of Paul McCartney look and going, it's all right. <laughs> Not knowing anything what about it. was that? <laughs> and please don't, you know, I don't know how Paul, <laughs> Not like I, I don't know how Paul McCartney speaks. <laughs> I'm, I'm, assuming, I'm assuming Liverpoolian, that isn't the best Liverpoolian. Apologies to anyone from Liverpool who listens to that. My point being... I am reasonably sure that Paul McCartney must have given this the green light at some point, but he must have been, you know, drunk or something when he did. Or completely befuddled by computer games and just looked at it and go, wow, computers, aren't they magic? And then uh, hey, well, that was even worse than Paul before, McCartney. But... Before bad things happen. Before anyway, bad things happen. I'm, I'm, let's move on quickly before, Paul, before, Absolutely, you might, <laughs> before McCartney you might, steps in. You <laughs> might summon him. You oh, yeah. McCartney three times <laughs> into a mirror. <laughs> Exactly. He'd just be coming and go, stop. I'm not even going to say it. Stop me doing public impersonations immediately. Give my regards to Broad Street. No, <laughs> move on. Just, just bad, 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 bad. Avoid. No, just no. Don't, don't give your regards <laughs> to Broad Street. Avoid to, Broad uh, Street completely. Green. <laughs> <laughs> it's Oxford Street. It's far more, far uh, more shops. Ironically, sort of thing, none of the streets in this are broad. They're all very narrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, give my regard to the narrowest, mm. difficult to navigate streets ever. Yeah. In a car that can only go one direction. Um, right, okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting game, Pathfinder. Um, I quite enjoyed my time with Pathfinder. It's a really odd game. Um, I'm going to try and describe it. Um, it's, it starts off with some kind of weird sort of map screen where you pick a direction to move um on a on a character by character basis you can move left diagonal you know the compass points but also north north by northeast things that are northeast um and you press which way you want to go and you kind of move into that section and then it becomes this strange vertical scrolling um part shoot them up part dodge them up thing where you control this strange spider thing and you control how fast and you move up and down and left and right um, and you have to hop over obstacles, you have to shoot some things. 
and you can e equip some strange radiation things and it's all about moving through these areas of radiation and trying to deliver something um i found it unusual and, and quite an interesting concept um i like the the main you know it's really abstract um and what i took away from this um i did enjoy my time with it was just that if i'm going to say i don't know if you found this sort of thing but this was a huge influence on alicar um the braybrook game uh, yeah, because completely. this at times looked just like yeah, Alicat, completely um with the similar sort of with the you know the vertical yeah, no the, the weird sort of structures which you could go under you could fly over you could shoot the the objects the things coming down towards you you know i know Alicat was a racing game something going around that loop but visually and the way that it was presented incredibly similar to this um but i you know there was, there was enough weirdness here um, to to hook me into thinking, yeah, I could you know I could get on I could get on with this. This was all right, and it was very very strange and, and quite you know had its own like 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 we said about Cauldron before it had its own sense of place and world and its own sense of style and, and thing to it that was that was unusual enough to drag me in and, and you know make me think yeah this this is this is actually quite an okay game. Controls were not perfect, um, and quite often I didn't make jumps that I thought I could have done um and, and, and end up dying um but on the whole i i, I like you know the, the fact you sped up as you went left and right uh you know a bit of inertia there and things like that no, no, it's all right i, I quite enjoyed this and I, I this was a game i had I'd never ever played before um i had no recollection of this no experience of it um and i came away from this quite enjoying my time with it yes i agree i mean um it was it was an arcade inspired kind of take on a game so, so there was that kind of arcade pace i quite like that about it um it had some really weird mechanics and and not just i say weird but they were just like the jumping thing and they were challenging but you know it made it different and i quite like that about it um i like the fact that it was you know it had something different yeah there's some of the sprite graphics some of the graphics were a little bit it felt a little bit shoot em up construction kit we'll come to that much later down the line but it had that kind of feel about it but at the same time it was very playable it was fun. It had some perfunctory arcade kind of sounds in it. So it was it was clearly it was like someone was trying to make an arcade game that didn't exist and therefore they made an arcade game no, so this wasn't a conversion. This was a for me, this felt like somebody had just made a C sixty four arcade game in their own way. And like you say, it had its own game world and because of and game logic and because of that it kind of worked. And it, it was kind of you know, it did have the challenges with the radiation and the zones and the things. And, you know, you had a lot to think about when you're playing the game, and that's no bad thing. Um, and it kept the controls to a joystick, which, you know, so we weren't typing in three keyboard commands. <laughs> we weren't trying to... No, it, it, this was a straightforward, you know, the things in front of you, shoot them or move out the way or jump, whatever. No, the logic of the game made playing it more fun. And because it, because it felt more fun... Um, it had that, and because it had that arcade-inspired feel, it felt like you wanted to keep at it. Which is kind of key. So it wasn't a game I'd ever come across before. I have to say the same as you. It's, this was purely a find based on Zap, uh, Zap the Past and the and the whole idea of of looking at these games in Zap. And Zap had reviewed it and given it a fairly favourable review. So I did the yeah, same. And, and yeah, and, and and in actuality, yeah, you know, it's got kind of. But you're right. This was a heavy inspiration for the Braybrook game that came later. There's no doubt about about that. Alley Cat and this are, are linked. There's no doubt. Which made me wonder when I played Pathfinder whether there was an arcade 
that it was based on. But I couldn't find one during my search, and it wasn't certainly wasn't mentioned in terms of the Zap review. So my take was that it, this was kind of a unique. You know, someone had played a lot of games, and those games had inspired this game. Um, and there was a, you know, there was an arc and a playability about it. And as we'll discover later, you now these sort of shooter games that came on the C64, as they start to um, to um, evolve, they get better and better at this kind of stuff. And adding these kind of mechanics in and things start to become much better. And then, the, you know, we start to get really slick titles later down the line, as we'll discover. But this was a, I thought it was a really good, um, a really good arcade inspired shoot 'em up, and certainly. A lot better than a lot of the other fodder that was out there. It wasn't trying to do anything. Um, it wasn't copying anything. And that's what I've made my main note. This wasn't a, another shoot up game that I've played a million times. There was something about this that was a bit different. And I like that. The jumping thing, for example. Mm. Good. Yeah. Nice animation on the main craft. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like, spider-like yeah. creature. And I think this this took... This played to its strengths as well. Because, you know, like you're saying, it, it does feel arcadey. But also, as well, it, it adds enough strategy in there for it being like a you know a computer game to a home game so it's like yeah this feels arcadey but you're never going to get this you know using these different items plotting your way through this map in an arcade game it would be much more linear uh, with this it allowed you sense of freedom and, and the different zones you went through with different visual styles colorings and everything and and, and and you know it played to this this felt like it'd been this you know like, I think that's a really good point. It, it feels like an arcade game is designed from the ground up for a computer system. For, you know, adding adding in things that will benefit you because you can keep coming back to it and learn the world and the mechanics. Um, but yeah, no, uh, this was a, this was a, a pleasant surprise yeah. in Amongst the Dross this week. I agree. Um, so yeah, so Pathfinder, thumbs up. Yeah, definite thumbs up from me. Uh, thumbs up. Um, cool. We like Pathfinder. Good stuff. Well done. Uh, Activision as well, wasn't it? Uh, yes. They were having a, a sea of releases. Not all of them great, as we'll come to. But um, no, but, all... um, but no. uh, they, when they hit the you know, but they were kind of just releasing everything at this point now. Um yeah. so as we'll discover, some things were a hit and some things were not. So. Okay, so our, our last our last title for this section. Um, and I'll be interested to hear what your thoughts are because I think you said you'd, you'd never actually played this. Um, the uh, another seminal title, probably not far below something like Elite, um, and that is Lords of Midnight. Um, Mike Singleton, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, Mike Singleton creating thirty-two thousand different views of the same thing, almost um, in you know forty-eight k, sixty-four k. As you play the titular Lords, are you the Lords of Midnight? I can never quite tell sort of thing. Basically, the game starts off. It's it's a it's a it's a think Mist, um, an early version of Mist. So static screen adventure type thing, um, where you you have a view in front of you of a landscape, and it tells you that um, you play four different characters: um, Luxor, Corleth, or whatever. There's there's four of them anyway. Um, and you go through a day in the life of each of them exploring this strange world, uh, feeling invigorated a lot of the time, I noticed. I was feeling invigorated a lot. Um, and then, you know, going to sleep and then the Lords of Darkness, whatever sort of thing, go on the prowl during the night and then you repeat. Um, you can face different directions. You can turn around. There's a whole you know environment to explore and move around and that kind of exists. 
um, and is you know is impressive from a technical point of view. Um, I just I, again I think it's one of those games that um, is a technical marvel, and I and I give it all its due props for that. But I, again, I mean I I'm a huge always my whole life been a huge fan of uh, fantasy literature, Lord of the Rings, Shannara's, Dragonlance. Uh, David Gemmels, you know, all the big, big hitter sort of thing, especially during the 80s. I love this sort of thing. This game seems almost ready-made for me, sort of thing. I kind of like low strategy games and some of those sort of thing, but it always left me very cold, you know, um, and it just didn't, I think there was just something about it that just didn't engage me, and, and I just always just could, you know, could never really sort of get on with it to a point where I wanted to persevere. I don't know how. How did you find it? As soon as you never played it before. Yeah, I found I found it the same. The problem I initially felt was um, was okay. I got the, the idea. Of this the game had scope. Um, the game had ambition, um, and I don't doubt that there's a whole. You know, that it felt like this. If there was, if you were going to make Skyrim and you were going to make it eight bit, you would probably do it that way. <laughs> Um, uh-huh. You know, and it felt, and it did feel like that. It had, it had, it felt bigger, but my view of that world felt really small um, and very repetitive. And as much as these text-based descriptions of things, the graphics were so rudimentary and so nondescript in actuality that it just felt like I was just continuously doing the same thing over and over again with very little payoff. Um, now these games. Again, they require a, a perseverance. Um, they're of their time, so you know I have to detach the idea of, you know, of the Skyrims and the and the uh, the games of all those game, modern games that take you know what that game was trying to do and make it into a three D believable world. So take you know taking all of that aside, I admire the scope and the ambition that this game had. Um, I just couldn't get into it and that's I think my, me I'm not a fan of this kind of game um, you know it just felt like it was a you know some kind of role fantasy based game somewhere along the line it probably got really interesting I don't doubt you know but you know for someone that wants to sit there in front of their Commodore 64 for six hours and you know negotiate whatever deals and terrain and things that you had to negotiate with that game I didn't give it probably enough time Um but that said, you know, I'm pretty sure there's an amazing game in there. Um, I don't doubt that. Um, but I just found it something that I couldn't connect with, um, and you know, and I wasn't, I never, never was a Lords of Midnight fan. Even even though I'd, you know, obviously I've heard of it. I've heard, you know, I'd heard of the Reverie. I've heard that, you know, it's got this big reputation. And there's a number of games that fall into that for me. There's 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 Lords of Midnight's one of them. Elite was another one. Bard Tale is another one. There's a few games that fall into this kind of now, these games are amazing. They're so big and they're so vast, and there's so much to do. And and you know, those that the idea of doing that in games exhausts me before I've even switched them on. So um, I think well, if it's got that much to do, it's maybe not for me. I like you know quite niche. You know, blow it up, find the thing, do the stuff quick. No, I don't know. I have to work hard and have long conversations in games. But there are there is a space for that kind of game. Just you know, and this is 64k we're talking about, right? So now this 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 lots of that game is massive in terms of its world scope, um, and in that respect, you know this is this is a, a tiny amount. Remember, this is less than a word document for most people. This is less than most people's ringtones that they put on their phones. So in that in that small amount of space, you've got an enormous world and game logic and everything else. And so I admire that, but it's just a board game 
made into a Commodore 64 game for me and not a board game I would have ever engaged with. In the same way I didn't engage with some games that Games Workshop produced around that time as well, where there was just these endless rules and endless encounters. I'm like, eh, nah, I'm done. Yeah, I think it's right. I think it's, it's an, for me, it's always been admirable, really, rather than enjoyable. Yes, yes. If you like that kind of thing, you probably dig it, but not for me. Yeah, not for me either. No. So, yeah. So, it's yeah, I, I'm not going to be as down on it as probably I was with Elite sort of thing, but it, it is, you know, it's just, it's, it's, I think it's a, you just, you really need to um, apply yourself and persevere and, and I, I don't want, I don't want enough of a hook there for me. I don't think, you know, needs a bit more story, something to hook me in, uh, something just needs, anyway, but, but not terrible. So anyway. Okay, so we got we had some good ones there, maybe. Cauldron, yes, Pathfinder. there is Cauldron. So... Cauldron's good. Pathfinder was good. You know, there's there's moments in there of levity in, in May 1985, <laughs> and then it was quickly yeah. subsumed by the moment you loaded in. Tim Tim doesn't love cricket, or if you were going to give your regards <laughs> oh. to Broad Street very shortly afterwards, you were going to give it a big two fingers. Let me tell you. Yeah. So I think that ends our part two. We've got uh, next up. Uh, we've got we're going to look at uh, what was going on in the media. In 85, uh, films, music, uh, let's see what was going on and anything interesting that may have been going on on TV. Uh, and then we're going to come back with some more games. And these are the games that, if you thought the ones we've talked about already were bad or we didn't like them, uh, we've got the ones that actually Zap thought were bad at the time. So, uh, yeah, a roundup of the, the dross at the bottom of the barrel is still to come. All right, welcome back. So now we are covering what we're doing out of the media. Uh, May nineteen eighty five. Going to look at some uh, some songs, albums, and films, TV. What was going on? What was going on? Um, well, the one of the big things that happened on the thirteenth of May was Dire Straits' album "Brother in Arms" was released. Um, big album. It became the first compact disc to sell over one million copies. There you go. I want my MTV. And that was a good album. That well, of course it is. I was going to say it had money for it nothing was. on it, right? Song built for huge singles. First, it was the song that opened MTV in Europe. Think, uh, MTV, quite steady. possibly, yeah. I was never worse than the MTV started about what 1981 in the states. Um, something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was, it was well, on, ongoing. We were late, and of course the song also features a Sting. It does, and I, I, I'm not going to do my impression of him. Because uh, it's, it's not worth it. No, uh, I don't want to lose any listeners we may already have. Uh, but yeah, so so it sold a million copies, which is a lot in it. First, the compact disc, which uh, obviously started the switch from uh, the warmth of vinyl to the to the coldness of uh, digital. <laughs> yeah, techno- the technological yeah, cold. That's what it was. Of, of laser, uh, you know, lasers can play things. Um, I, I don't know what. Do you remember the myths? The myths. Do you remember the myths of compact disc? It can't be scratched. It lasts forever. <laughs> lies, lies, yeah. lies. These things do get scratched. They do jump. They do jump about, and they don't no. last forever. It was all a yeah, lie. That is true. Um, in the charts and the singles, uh, well, it's pretty much dominated by one song, um, which was Paul Hardcastle's "19," and it was number one pretty mm-hmm. much all 19. month. All, yeah, pretty much number one pretty much all month. So that was good. Um, you know, if you like that. That kind of comment on Vietnam. If you like your, you know, <laughs> I was going to say, if you like your Vietnam-based <laughs> sample call, it's yeah. Really, it's All a good. happy month, isn't it? Let's face it. 
Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a bit. Uh, it really is. But um, there's some there's some other songs that that that, that, were, that were charting this month. Um, uh, Duran Duran's "View to a Kill," which uh, I'm a big fan of. I, 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 I like. like I, I do like, like that. Yeah, um, I like Duran Duran. I've come too. around to Duran Duran a bit more in the last few years. I um, like them quite yeah. a bit. Don't listen to the last um, album. Uh, the only song ever, and it's the popular one by Marillion that I ever even gave any time to, was Kaylee. <laughs> um, you know, good old fish. Um, but you know, Marillion air. <laughs> it's that. It's that. Um, it's that initial. You know, the the initial um, phrase in the music is quite catchy, isn't it? It's got a uh-huh. good catch. Really yeah, catchy. it's all right. Um, uh, uh, but that name, you know, name five of the Marillion no, songs. I don't know any. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even tell you their albums. All I remember the album sort of thing is that there was some kid in a sort of drummer outfit on one of the covers of one of the albums, I think. I, yeah, said, I just, just remember, remember that they had a singer called Fish. Uh, and I'm thinking yeah. that's an unusual name. Uh, yeah, he went off on his own, didn't he? Fish alone. Yeah, well, he did, yeah. He went, he went to live in... Uh, <laughs> solo fi- in, uh, soul fish. <laughs> soul fish. Well, well, he went to live in uh, in, um, <laughs> in the tropical climate, didn't he? In Jamaica, became... Became tropical fish. <laughs> <laughs> I was building up to that, but I couldn't, I couldn't think of anywhere tropical. No, no I was going. Now I was going to think. Does he drink lilt? Can I say lilt? Because that. And I was thinking, it's just. I'm just. No. It's yeah, just awful. Right. So I wasn't a fan of Marillion no. at all. And actually, I do know a person who really liked Marillion, but he also liked to pow, and that's as much as I'm ever going to say yeah, about that. Yeah, let's move on. Let's uh... no. <laughs> move on to Jimmy Nail. <laughs> Jimmy goodness. Nail released "Love Don't Live Here Anymore." On what planet and <laughs> what world do we live where... Don't uh, know. And, and I'm going to be frank, because I know I'm not saying I'm an ugly person, I'm not saying I'm a good-looking person, but Jimmy Nail is an ugly he's, guy. He's, uh, he's, he's hit the branches on the way down, hasn't he? Yeah, exactly. So for him, with his broken nose, jody tones, to sing Love Don't Live Here Anymore, which isn't his song, he's obviously he's covering that. But, he, you know, he had quite a, he had a, a fairly... He had a number of number ones, as I remember. There was that one, there was a... Crocodile oh. shoes or whatever there was, you know. Oh, that song. I try not to think no. about it too often, but I only remember him from being Yozza in uh, in uh, Yozza Hughes, yeah. In, in uh, I can't remember the name. Alvida's That's it, yeah. Yozza, what's it? Alvida's ain't pet, and then the, obviously the the later um, Adios pet. Which did that actually become a thing? Or did I imagine uh, that? No, there was a sequel set in um, set in Spain. I can't. I don't think it was called Adios pet. I don't think it was called Adios pet. Probably should have been really. <laughs> Um, I can't remember what it was called, actually. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be called Avida's Own Pet in brackets, Spain, I, would I, it? No, it just I, wouldn't I don't sense. know. I can't remember. There was a sequel in Spain. They went from country to country. There was Arrivederci Pet. <laughs> there was Dosvidania Cyan- Pet. The Russians, Pet. the time when they went to Russia. Sayonara Pet. Yeah, there was loads of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they went around the world just petting. Just generally uh, petting. Everybody. Wherever you went, though, loved it, lived there. <laughs> no, obviously not. And they wore crocodile shoes, you know. Um, Tears for Fears released the excellent Everybody Wants to Rule the World, or didn't release it, but it was in the charts anyway. Um, and Everyone Wants to Rule the World is, a, is, a, is an ace song. I love that song. Um, yeah. Great song. Um, Tears for Fears are actually a, a, a really great 80s they band. They are. Hugely underrated, I um, think. So, yeah, well, I think they're, it's one of those bands that in the 80s, because there's, there's so much rubbish released mm. in the 80s that a lot of the really great bands that are really good, just become kind of mediocre because there's so much rubbish out there. Or not, not rubbish, average. So the 80s is full of average stuff. Heaven 17 are an average <laughs> band. No, they are, they are, because they had one That's great hit, kind. which is, you know, 
Well, yeah, but that's what I mean. But there's a lot of that kind of thing now. They, they, in terms of their reverie and in terms of their place, there was loads of bands and stuff and, and single artists and duos and you know, just think, you know, just think of the ABC. Um, yeah, but just think of that. Just take Depeche Mode as your top of that flowchart, and then take you know, just go to Vince Neil and then every single Vince Neil sort of sub band that he was involved with, of which is quite a number of duos, Yazoo and you know, and a number of others. Um, Jimmy Somerville and people like that and just take that to that logical extreme there's so much of that in the 80s that it became kind of you know, a, you know when certain bands came along that did stand out like Tears of Fears they were kind of they, their message and their sound was kind of lost in that whole sea of bands and I think you know, there's there's a lot to be said for them I revisited a lot of it recently um, because of, a, of another podcast that I listened to and, and I, have to, I have to say there was some really interesting stuff in there this rubbish as well but you know, everybody wants to rule the world, and there's a number of songs that are very good by them. And it was a great song. Was it number one? I can't remember if it was number one, or probably was. Uh, no, because uh, well, it might have been in June. I haven't got to June, but Paul Hardcastle was <laughs> for pretty much all oh, of, of May. Was, yeah, because he was uh, to the, well, in the UK it anyway. The, it, it was the it was the time of the Akai Nine Thousand <laughs> sampler. Um, I think the thing is with the Paul Hardcastle. I think the link to that sort of thing is that sample that synth stuff and, and, and things like that sort of thing is, is quite linked to when we do our discussion probably around music and the C64 we'll probably talk about that a lot more then and so we'll, we'll leave that for now and we'll, we will be discussing these things at, at, on a later date um, when we take when we talk about the music of the, of the C64 and in probably a way that you know just doesn't go oh this is chip's ace um, but more the thing is it's more British artists flying the synth flag for Britain at that time when you know, the main synth flags had been raised in Germany with Kraftwerk. Britain really leapt upon that, you know, because we're a country of people in sheds who like to tinker <laughs> with stuff. And uh, and Tears for Fears and a million other bands came about because of that. And some good, some bad, but mostly good in, in terms of this sort of stuff. So it'd be great to, when we look at that, it'd be amazing to see that lineage. Yeah. The other one that stood out to me when I'm looking through these songs in this, this month sort of thing is I know it's a personal favourite of yours, was uh, Billy Ocean and Suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, and I'm thinking it's the suddenly. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. I think it's that track, yeah. right? Because, but <laughs> somebody, as soon as somebody says Billy Ocean to me, I just think when the going Absolutely, gets tough, yeah. tough, that's it. No, and the follow-on song from that, which was, you know, we're still tough and we're still going, and you know, was, you know and other things can the, happen. What was the one he did for? Um, uh, was it Romancing the Stone and Jewel in the Night? Romancing the Stone. That was, was that when the that was when the, the going, going gets tough. tough, the tough get going, yeah. yeah, and then obviously yeah. he did suddenly, which has showed his. His softer, more passionate side. I'm not a big, yes, big Billy Ocean. The calm you know, part of the Billy Ocean, Ocean Caribbean Queen. Yeah, people dig it, you know, and and I get it. You know, it's great songwriting, it's great production. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. The guy is an amazing talent. You he love is. it. I feel like I'm a judge on the you X Factor, but, um, but yeah, I do <laughs> like Billy Ocean stuff. I just, you know what? It's just, it, it's just like I said, it, in a in a sea of '80s stuff, it's more noise. It's not. Obtuse. It's not horrible. It's not what you're gonna it's, do. Yeah. What you you know. It's not Rene and Renata. It's not one it wonder crap. It's just more stuff out there. When there's there's so much good stuff going on. Did he do a, another song for uh, Jewel in the Nile? He did. There was a follow up song from um, the Go and Get Tough, but I, for the life of me, the name of it's gonna happen. It but there was a yeah, follow up song in the sequel. There was yeah, a Jewel, sequel. Jewel in the Nile. Yeah. No. Yeah. Because yeah, Romance of the Stone you know, was first, and Jewel in the Nile was. Yeah, and, and that's the go and get tough, and then there was a follow-on, and he did a he did he did the follow-up song, which would make sense because every blockbuster movie had to have a song attached, right? It At that did. time, it was the eighties thing. 
No, Flashdance is a perfect example of a film that's about nothing, which has a great soundtrack and you no, know, you know, way of if way of shoring up people. But speaking of movies that don't have songs attached to them, uh, the two that stood out to me that were released this month at the cinema in the UK uh, were John Carpenter's Starman. Mm. Not John Carpenter's greatest moment. <laughs> so not it's terrible, not terrible, though. you know. It's, it's okay. It's all right. You know, Jeff Bridges. It's got some weirdness. It's okay. Well, what it always proves to me, and it's not my favorite John Carpenter movie. Of, well, no, because obviously John Carpenter has an incredible pedigree of many movies. What it proved to me is that John Carpenter is a capable director in more than just horror genres. No, because he did The Fog and because he did Halloween and you know and a number of other things, uh, horror movies. No. You know, directors can be typecasters, you know, you know, the king of horror or the horror guy, you know, and there's a lot of 80s directors that did that. Um, but, you know, it's easy to forget that, you know, Escape from New York is a sci-fi movie at the end of the day, and Starman is a sci-fi movie, and there's a number of movies, you know, will allied Mar- the one he did on Mars, The Ghost of Mars, and the later <laughs> rubbish. Uh, yeah, we won't talk about that. But, you know, when he was in his 70s, 80s, early 80s heyday, yeah. with things like The Thing and stuff, he was a talent to be reckoned with, and he could he could almost turn his hand to anything. And Starman is proof of that because it's actually a pretty good movie. It's it's not what you'd expect from, but this is a guy that made Elvis. That's movie, what I was right? going to so say. Yeah. The guy can really shift. The guy can shift gear and do different stuff. And I sometimes wonder if the studios challenged him at certain points to say, right, well, you know, we'll let you direct this movie over here, but you need to prove that you can do this stuff. And so Starman is a proof of concept really for him. But it's, it's all right. right. Yeah. Certainly. More, you know, Witness is an, an interesting Yeah, one. Witness was also released this month as well. Uh, Witness, Peter Weir, um, if I remember rightly, um, was obviously Harrison Ford. Um, uh, Amish, a- Amish. Amish kid, Witness, Witness's murder. Um, Harrison Ford has to protect Amish child in an Amish community. Um, in the process, they build a barn. Um, that's pretty much what I remember about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know? I remember two things about this movie. I remember um, it had an awful Maurice Jarre soundtrack. And I had a friend who was obsessed with Harrison Ford, who really, really, really liked yeah. it a lot. Yes. And, but then again, Harrison Ford could have walked onto the set of a movie, pulled his trousers down <laughs> and taken a dump. And my friend at that time would have happily applauded and loved it. Yes. The, suffice to say that... Um, Witness is a capable movie, but Peter Weir movies are genuinely weird. Peter Weir. Peter Weird, yeah. And it yeah, they are a bit weird, you know, you know, picnic at hanging rock weird. Yeah. Can- so there's elements of this film that are really jarring and weird. Um and you know, if you like the idea of watching Amish people, Amish people have difficulty with things, um, but in the end erect a barn with, with, with amiable skill. Then this is the movie for you. And Harrison Ford is a, he was a carpenter, wasn't he, by trade? Uh, yes. So he was a trained he carpenter. Was, yes. You know, in fact, he was he was he was a carpenter in making the sets in the film lot when uh, George Lucas spotted him and said, "You know, you'd you'd make a great character in my movie. Come see me in my." <laughs> you made that sound fast. Make sure you've got loose. <laughs> you've made that sound fast, Cedia. <laughs> then I, I imagine it happened. <laughs> make sure you've got loose trousers. <laughs> We in no way are stating that George Lucas did anything to Harrison Ford to, to get him the part. No, as, no, not in the slightest. Get the no. hand solo. Yeah, that's how he got his name. <laughs> but that is a separate story. 
That's a separate legal claim, and that's nothing we want to get involved with. Suffice that, Witness is okay, but it's... 80s is full of great movies, really big, character-driven, crazy movies, Commando, Predator, you know, Rocky movies, and so the, these movies are kind of, you know, they get released, but they're never going to be as big as those, which is always the thing. So Witness has got its place, but, you know, compare it to the other movies that are around in 82 and 83, you've got, still got the legacy of E.T. and Well, don't, don't, Back don't the forget that those, and, those were know. the entire year, though. This is just one month. Yeah, 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 and that's fair. And there'll be more that comes yeah, out. So, yeah, actually, yeah, you're right. Sort of thing. So, yeah, There's other bits and bobs that'll so come don't out. Don't go see anything in May. <laughs> no. <laughs> Avoid the cinemas yeah. in May. But I think the other thing with this sort of thing is that Witness, you know, was essentially, as I think as you alluded to, is just the power of the... Back then in the eighties, um, was the power of the single star. You know, you, you, you Schwarzeneggers, your Stallones, you, you Harrison Fords, you, you people like that sort of thing who would draw in. You know, who were worth the, the, the box office because it was like people went to see them. So, and then following that, you have people like Tom Cruise um, and things like that. So, this was really a period sort of thing where um, these these actors were, would would draw in a, a crowd because, like you said, you're you know, the, yeah. our, our joint friend sort of thing. Loved films with Harrison Ford, no matter what they were, he didn't care. Yeah, absolutely. And then there was, you know, there was an air of, um, you know, uh, religious curiosity about things. You know, nobody really knew much about. I mean, I certainly didn't know anything about the Amish community until that movie came along. No, didn't want to. So you know, this idea that they, you know, threw away technology and all the things that that movie suggests that uh, Amish. I mean, between that and um, the Bill Murray bowling movie, whatever it's called, I can't remember. Kingpin. But between those two, that yeah, Kingpin, they're the only two Amish <laughs> benchmarks I have. So they have a build bands or they're, you know, they're crazily inept bowlers. Um, I'm pretty sure that there's a whole there's, slew of in between. something in the middle, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, well, and later down the line, of course, I mean, you take this stuff to its, you know, TV-based conclusion and there's like this Amish dating yeah. shows and fish-out-of-water type programs on MTV and stuff. Like, exploitation gone horribly wrong. But this wasn't an exploitation movie. It just it was just set in a community of, of you know, kind people that um, that you know where something horrible happened and you know and there was but it did pique that curiosity that there was an, a community of, of you know non technologists for want of a better description that exists out there in the world and they that's how they live and they choose to live that way and it is it is that it's like with many things back in eighty five it's easy to. You know, in this modern world we live in with internet and Google and YouTube and all these examples of culture that are thrown in every possible direction, your experience of culture back in 1985 was what was on TV and what was in the movies or in magazines. That was your exposure. There was no internet to, to research this stuff on. So when you were presented with something different like an Amish community in a movie, that's that was your understanding of Amish. You're like, wow, that's so that's what Amish people do and are and... You know, it's crazy, but it's mad to think of it that way. But, you know, in a historical context, and taking out the modern methodologies that you have to look into these things quickly, you know, that was that your understanding of things was formulated by that. Which is why I understand most of the Second World War because of Bugs Bunny. <laughs> That's a whole separate podcast. And that is actually a whole separate issue I need to take up with my psychologist. Let's move on from there, though. I think we should. Um, there was nothing of note on TV. Um, aside from no. uh, it was taken over, everything that I could see was just mentioned that there was the 40th anniversary VE Day celebrations, and not to play down the VED celebration, VE Day celebrations, VD Day celebrations would be something very different. Uh, VE Day celebrations, not to play them down, but they just included a lot of Doris Day, um, probably singing yeah. um, White Cliffs of Dover and all things like that. I don't really remember them. Well, in all fairness, it wouldn't be Doris Day singing that. That was it, Vera be, Lynn. Uh, 
Mira Lynn. <laughs> I don't see what you, she might have sung it. Do, do you see what I'm like? This is this is of no interest to me. I'm like, yeah, uh, there you go. No, it's very important that we remember things like the day. Oh no, I'm no not, disrespect to anybody, but I I'm agree not with knocking you. them. They just it was the 40th anniversary, and then 10 years later we did yeah. the 50th, and 10 years later and we did I was, the 60th. And I was 13, yeah, and it was the usual thing. So it didn't really impinge on me. Yeah, and it was lots of very clean military vehicles driving yes. around with soldiers sort of saluting and, and you know, incredible stories of valour and, and all that sort of stuff. No problem. But you know, TV had started to embrace its place in the national celebratory yes. thing. And later, as we'll discover down the line, when it comes to, you know, because we'd already had this with the Royal Wedding back in 1982, sorry. 81, I think, wasn't it? So, 82. You know, 81, whenever, the, yeah, but the, obviously TV had started to, you know, even back as far as back as the, the Queen's coronation, TV had started to centralise its place as the place, if you can't be at the event, you can celebrate it vicariously with TV. That's something that comes back and back, and of course Live Aid happens, which is a natural progression of that, but that's obviously interesting and a separate thing. And together, probably the next couple of months, I think. It was mid, I would mid imagine, yes. It's in July, yeah. I think, of the same year, so yeah. yeah. So there you go. So that's the media in 85. It's all right. There <laughs> 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 were some songs and there's a couple of films released. Yeah. Not much to do. Go yeah, to the yeah. cinema, watch the Irish. Um, yeah. Just, you know, a view to a kill. Yeah, hum that. There you go. So that's our media. Let's move on then to part three, the ugly games. Uh, we've had the good. Okay, the final, final hurl. Yeah, so let's crack on and see what we can see what we come to. And these are the games that even Zap thought were terrible for the time. So God knows what yeah, we... It's not going to take long no, with these. No, it's not because, you know, um, the first one we're going to look out is a, look at is a, is a, uh, the Dark Tower. Dark, dark Tower. Um, awful. Awful Jet Set Willy ripoff. Essentially, yeah. just you know, yeah. bad controls, yeah. bad visuals, bad sound, bad. <laughs> yeah, any game where you're playing an egg with legs, never going to have that much longevity yeah. for me. Uh, just, just bad. Um, and again, it was the thing is the game was explained like we had it previously. The game, you know, you've got X amount of time, X amount of levels, you've got to do this stuff. But it, no, the game was essentially manic minor slash Mission Impossible slash every other platform the game of that type with a really jaunty circus-like soundtrack, which Zap loved, but I didn't think it was that no. great. No, it was um, not. And essentially, you know, there was some guy that said, you know, imagine if you were an egg. But, you know, he's a prince turned into an egg, but you've got legs and you can... You know, some some guy had that conversation and some executive went, yeah, that's great. Yeah, make that a game. <laughs> and we'll call it Dark Tower because of no reason yeah, whatsoever. Yeah, no, I couldn't figure out. So, Dark Tower does not conjure up jaunty eggs. No, because it, it kind of felt playful and yeah. funny. So it felt more like a kind of circusy, funny kind of adventure Why game. Why Dark Tower? Um, it, well, it didn't. Yeah, exactly. The Dark Tower. If it had been called, you know, the Tower of Silly, or, or the Egg, egg Tower, Tower, even it just involve eggs in it because there was a lot of egg in it. Yeah. But no, I've uh, I've played a million games like it before this, during this phase, and afterwards. This one didn't stick out in any way, other than it was particularly jarring with its music, and the, it felt like the game had a lot of. Attention paid to detail for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. Not very good. Just plain yeah. weird. It was just weird. Badly conceived. Uh, next up, Penetrator. Great name. 
<laughs> Speaking of games that are just plain weird, this was Scramble, it, yeah, right? Scr- this was Scramble, Scramble yeah, yeah. With really blocky, sort of weird um, graphics that were kind of... It reminded me of um, later down the line as we come to them, we'll look at the um, Thalamus, Thalamus mm. games. And there's a couple of those. Sanction is a game like that. And Sanction has that kind of similar blocky graphic, but smooth kind of feel. Mm-hmm. Um, where they've where they've gone kind of you know where they've it's the colorization I think and the way they've chosen the colors the colors and the sprites and everything else. My take was for it that it was just um, it was just annoying and and actually the in-game music drove me borderline <laughs> insane because it was so so it's annoying. Crazy, I put, I, my... And easy, it's easy. I couldn't be killed by anything. I just flew through most of that level by not doing much. So. Yeah, it was very easy. I've actually put the music was okay. I didn't actually mind the music. Yeah, it's it was okay. Right, but, but yeah, it's like a decent enough scramble clone. It was just I just wanted to look at it because I didn't couldn't understand why it was called Penetrator. I was like, it's a, yeah, it's a stra- exactly. strange, well, you, you kind of, you were pen- <laughs> strange title. I mean, yeah, okay. Well, you were penetrate, you were penetrating the like, caves, yeah, uh, <laughs> caves and things. And now, uh, what is it with these game designers in the mid eighties and caves? It's like just stop putting games in caves. There's so many games <laughs> in caves. It's bizarre. You know, we're going to come across this, you know, and just off the top of my head, and even in this podcast, we've come across several games in caves. We're going to come across more games in caves, even really great games like Sacred Armor of Anterior are based in caves. There's so many games in caves. It's like I'm, cave I'm going to guess it. I'm going to guess it's because it, you can, it just allows them to have a black background. Well, yeah, you know, and, and let's be fair, there are shoot 'em ups that have caves in them, our type and a number of others, and we'll come across all of them. However, this was not a great version of Scramble partly because you could pretty much walk through the levels. Apart from when you get to the inevitable navigate the bizarre blocky landscape part, which is, was always the same in Scramble, but I remember playing Scramble on a, on a Commodore Pet, and it was better than this. Yeah, it's so, just, yeah, it's Scramble you know. in it. Yeah, it is what it is, but... Well, you don't, yeah, it's, you don't shoot, you can't just spew bullet bombs. You can't spew the bombs like you can in this. You know, bombs have to sort of... And they have to arc. And they have to arc and take time to drop. That's the, that's the pain yeah. of scramble. Yeah. That that's you know yeah. And those are the decisions you have to make. Do I drop down and shoot these things from a low angle, or do I grow up and try and bomb? You know, as much as that's a very simple game logic, that scramble. Um, this take it all the way. You just kind of avoid the rocks. Not a great. Uh, it's not a great game penetrator. No. And you know, were you penetrating? I don't know. <laughs> they could have just got it. Scrambly for me. You know, it's very similar. Yeah, yeah. It's not great. Um, I play better scramble games now. Uh, so. Yeah. Shades. Um, <laughs> I've just put shit more like. That's my note. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my note with shades was um, how slowly can you walk into horrific danger? Turns out really slowly. I couldn't attack. <laughs> what was what was? It's, it's some flick screen. Um, thing which ran when you walk off one side of a screen, you could end up in the middle of the woods. You could end up in the middle of a bridge. You could end up in the middle of some building, and there was no continuity to anything. Um, and there was just enemies that would come towards you. I couldn't. I didn't know how to fight. Um, <laughs> awful. One of the worst things I've I've, I've played, um, and I've played a lot, but that was dreadful. Um, uh, so yeah, didn't didn't like it. No, no shit. Just no. Awful. It, it it felt to me like someone had gone. Someone had described Saberwolf to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> and said make this, and they was like okay, and then they'd made it, but they were like right. The slight problem here is that um, everything is really slow. So uh, as long as you can put up with the slow, 
Because in the game, you're like, as soon as you start, you like, walk slowly to the right. And look, there's a monster there. Fight him slowly. Yeah. It's like, oh my, this is so drawn out and boring. So, and it felt like there was no, no, the danger was so slow and there was no ability to maneuver it or get around it. It just, it just, you know, it had some, it, the graphics, clearly there was a lot of graphics and there's a lot of drawing and a lot of thought gone into that part. No, not, I'm not saying it's great, but there was clearly someone who made a game world and thought, right, we're going to build this out. But if, you know, if navigating it, and, and there's a game, you know, in a very different genre, but Karatika, which we'll come to later, falls into the same problem. It's just so slow, it becomes pointless. <laughs> and this game was exactly the same. Now, if you're moving around, because the whole point of Attic Attack and, and Sable Wolf and all those ultimate games and jet, Jetpack and all of those, is that those games have a pace. They're frantic yeah, pace. Yeah. They are. And if you don't have that in a game of this type, then you may as well forget what you're doing um, because you are going to be compared to a game of that type. So this is like a really crap version of Sable Wolf, and that's exactly Actually, what it this is. is. This was done, you know, the, the better version of this that comes a lot, a fair bit later sort of thing is Robin of the Wood. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and yeah. Robin of the Wood moves fast, pacey, you... and it's really yeah, good. Exactly. It, you've got to have pace in these games. I don't know why the animations are so slow. The Commodore 64 is capable of doing much faster graphics. My only conclusion was that they thought, you know what, if you're going to walk towards danger, you're going to take your time over that. But it just kills the, kills the mojo for me. Yeah, and what does it mean by shades? What does no it mean? No one knows. That's a toilet roll make by Asda. Exactly. <laughs> well, it may as well be. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it is. I mean, like, actually, it is, it is what it is. What it is yeah. this, this particular game, um, you know, I, I don't know. I didn't get no. it. And... Um, no, and later down the line, when it comes to exploratory adventures and stuff, there's no, even, um, you know, as much as the graphics are more perfunctory, even some of the, you know, dare I say, the Sega Mega Drive adventure games of this type, where you go into buildings and search for stuff and move around and navigate landscapes, um, you know, you know those, those sort of those those RPG type games, which this is kind mm. of, um, are better because they're simple. Whereas this is, I think it tried to over egg the pudding. I'm not sure what eggs they use. Really massive, <laughs> the heavy egg ones. from the dark tower. Probably. But anyway, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so these are, these are heavy eggs and uh, and not good eggs. So uh, shades is definitely uh, shades. Close those shades <laughs> and you know move, move Stop. the curtains for Stop. me. Stop. Stop with these. <laughs> it's, uh, it's curtains for those shades. <laughs> uh, let's draw on. Hey. <laughs> Uh, web dimension, web what? Web dimension, which I thought was going to be uh, when, it f- when it first started. Web dimension, I thought, okay, Tempest. Thought this is some weird version yeah. of Tempest, except it's not. It's some. Um, it's just some really, really rubbish, incomprehensible music thing. Yeah, I, I, I can't. There's, there's a web. You move around this web in a it's sort of pseudo 3D web. There's these things moving on the web that highlight certain parts of it if you move into them you die if you hold down the fire button you become a series of musical notes that gets louder <laughs> uh, <laughs> i don't know why i don't know to what end um at one point i did manage to kill one of the things um i don't know how because i couldn't repeat it um and <laughs> garbage just what? Um, so yeah, you're right. 
Did you understand it? Yeah. First thing to note, no, <laughs> I didn't. And first thing to note, this was an Activision game. It was game. an Activision game, yes. So so when that logo came up, I thought, okay, if Activision have, you know, lent their weight to this, but then I had to remember, this is 1985 Activision. So, and they, if someone turned up with a pencil and said, you know what, I'm going to animate this into a game, they'd have gone, yes, do it. So some some guy, person, woman, maybe, I don't know, turned up and said, I've created this game, You base, it's based on some kind of spider web ish thing it's kind of oral sound based game you've got to do this stuff yeah that sounds great do it just make it just we'll release it we'll release it okay and that's i think as far as their qa process got because this game is inexplicable <laughs> i could not yep i mean my notes are what the actual hell is this game about <laughs> i look i started the game i'm in a web i thought to myself maybe it's one of those games where you have to you know draw around the compartment shapes and then it fills them in a bit like um there's many games where you can do that you know you know what the type i mean where the idea of the game kicks is, yeah yeah exactly yeah, so, yeah exactly so you've got to fill in portions of the web no so then I, when i went near something and pressed the press the fire button this emitted this arguably really nice sound the sound in the game is really good no, there's somebody. Somebody was clearly a sound designer who really liked the idea of being able to mix and sound and blend sounds. The sounds are amazing. Unfortunately, everything else makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> and I just found myself wandering around a, a funnel-based web, not sure what I'm doing, pressing fire occasionally and it, emitting this sound, sometimes dying, sometimes <laughs> not, but not really progressing anywhere. And I was like, uh, so I, I didn't get it. I don't know what the dimensions of the web were about. Um, and it's sometimes hard because these games are some, somewhat decontextualized. So we, we're replaying them many years later. But I would argue that if you put, if you said to somebody, right, make this game now using an Xbox, you know, Xbox S or one of the new consoles, the PlayStation 5 game, I want you to make a game where You've got a web and you describe the complexity of web dimension to them and they made it. It would still make no sense whatsoever. It would, even with the greatest sound in the world, it would make no sense. So for me, nice sounds, goodness knows what you're supposed to do. And uh, and I think Zap also picked up on the same vibe. They were like, you know, this, this game has an idea, but it never makes it to anything other than an idea. And how Activision gave that the green light, I don't know. But, you know, we're in the same world where Melbourne House would literally release a, a, a game about a hamster if someone said, I've made a game about a hamster. So these are strange times for well, some Mel- of those software Melbourne houses. Melbourne House but... Dark Tower. Exactly. Uh, need we say <laughs> no, more? No, we don't. Let's move on uh, to our final game <clears throat> of this uh, show. And it's Book Rogers. Uh, I can't remember the full title. What's the full title? Something Dimension, something with a Book Rogers. Yeah, it's it's um, it is in fact uh, Book Rogers. And I'm not sure of the rest because I don't <laughs> no, have it written I don't. down. I just but got Book Rogers. It's Book Rogers in the in the adventures in the domain of the inept. <laughs> probably a slow. It may as well slow be slow and dull, very very dull version of the arcade games. This is another arcade conversion. From the original yes. was 1982, so this is... I think this came out quite a bit earlier than 1985, actually, to give it its due. I think it's 83. Yeah, it I think Zap would just probably... Either it had just been released over here, um, and Zap were picking it up, or they were just filling up space in issue one. So it's quite, it's quite yeah, possible that's what it was. That. We just picked it up because it was in there. Um, the only thing I can say about this sort of thing, I mean, I went and looked... I, well, I played through the, the Commodore... I played through the C64 version. Uh, I got through the first wave based thing so you go through basically basically what it is it's a into the screen flying thing and things are coming at you you go across this 
landscape. So the first thing you got to do is go through these, essentially like slalom skiing through these poles. So you get through these poles, you do enough of them, you move on to the next section where these um, UFOs come flying towards you from behind you. You shoot enough of them, you move on to the next section where these things come bouncing towards you. You shoot enough of them, you go into space. Um, UFOs come at you again, you shoot enough of them, and then you get the boss, which is some big ship. You shoot that, repeat. Except you've got a time limit, which is ticking down all the time, so you have to do this quite quickly. The problem is, once you get to level two, you can't actually get to the end of the level without the time ticking down. I, I couldn't. It doesn't move fast enough um, for you to actually accomplish what you need to do. And if you do manage, and without losing some life, so every time time runs out, you lose a life. You can manage to make it to the end of season two. I got to the, I got to wave three. Wave three moves even faster. So by this time, you just run out of lives. So and it's it's just you know it's just dull and boring. The visuals are really bland. They've got these horrible color schemes going on, really garish. Um, and I went and looked at the arcade game just as a comparison. The arcade game is really fast and bright and in your face and really cool. And essentially, you know, 1982. This is this is early Space Harrier. Um, you know, yes. this is this is Sega's you know inaugural attempts at making a Space Harrier game. Um, and so, but in, in you know, it's more like I don't know Space Cortina um, on the C64. <laughs> There's no Harrier about this. Yeah. It's just it, it, no, you know no, space no, no. biplane. Um, it's it's not yeah. it's not very good. It's uh, and Zap were right to pull it apart. And I think it's of its time. It's '83. It's a bit earlier, but it's. It's it's um it's a step too far for I think what the C sixty four could actually do. Well, I think you're right. I think the truth of the matter is this game was made earlier, which means it was really launched probably around the time that Atari twenty six hundred games were passable. So the idea of supermassive blocky sprites wasn't too obtuse. Um and so the idea of flying across a what is just essentially stripy landscape. Um, and shooting stuff and flying between the sort of slalom posts a la a ski game. Um, you know, okay, that's the arcade. And it was an arcade conversion, you know, at a time when that was the kind of, you know, like we said in the in the episode zero, you know, many arcade conversions occurred um, that shouldn't have been because they were a license and Book Rogers in 1980s was at least popular, or certainly heard of in the UK. By 1985, maybe less so. But it was still a... Back in 1980, Book Rogers, in 1981 in the UK, 82, was, was a big TV show at the time. So there was a legacy of, you know, that kind of, you know, Jill Gerard and Boogie 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 and all that kind of stuff. The arcade game was an extension of that. You know, you were flying what was, you know, quite exciting spaceships and stuff like that in the arcade. It was inevitable that a Commodore 64 version... Because there was a belief in originally that, that you could just replicate games on the Commodore 64 that were in the arcade. You know, the, eliding the fact that the hardware was completely bespoke in an arcade of that type, and that, you know, and it was a completely different way of making games and programming them. So the Commodore 64 did an approximation, and that approximation is this, and it is reviewed, you know, several years later, and as much as it has arcade inspired sounds, and it's just horrific to look at and <laughs> unplayable, and my, my, Original experience of this game was a, a turbo tape loader, which had also it was a tape that had an inexplicable amount of games on it. it was like must have been like seventy games on this one C ninety, so forty five minutes, hundreds of games. 
And this was one of them. And I remember loading it up in, in what felt like seconds with a turbo tape. And because of that, it felt it had the immediacy of the arcade. And, that, and you could persevere with it for so long. You were never going to get very far, as you say. The game logic was so crazy that you couldn't... It was impossible. Um, but, you know, um, it was one of those... It, for me, it was one of those games you loaded it up, you played it for two seconds, you were like, eh. And then you would move on to something that had a bit more tangible skill involved. Um, but um, it never endeared me to the Commodore 64, you know, games of this type. In fact, just like... Um, um, the Formula One game that we, we played earlier, um, it suffers from the same problem. Now, this is an arcade version, arcade conversion that isn't very good, and it suffers because of that. And there's a number of them on the 64 that do that. Um, there's another effect, I can, you know, off the top of my head, I can think of um, Kung Fu Masters, another one which features <laughs> garish, <laughs> horrific sprites. Yeah, exactly, and we'll come to this. And there's a number of, you know, um, there's a number of games that, you know, I admire the idea of the conversion but the reality was never going to be any good and um, because they weren't trying to play the commodore 64 to its strengths they were trying to emulate an arcade and that's a very different programming and a very different skill to have and and if they'd have made a book rogers game but made it specifically to play on the strengths of the commodore 64 it would have whole, been a wholly different experience i think and what you end up with is another pole position which is just a big block of sprites moving left or right and avoiding stuff well you know that that game's been done a million times over it's just not very good it, it, it need i mean the arcade game's not brilliant but it it had a snappiness to it and that snappiness that snappiness was sadly very very lost in the 64 version exactly and and, and as if book roger book rogers is not just about flying spaceships you know that was a character who interacted with other characters um, you know, later down the line, when we come to it, 1986, I think it will be, there's Dan Dare and his games about characters who were sci-fi characters in sci-fi character worlds. The idea of doing a Book Rogers game where you're just flying a spaceship is kind of stupid, really, if you think about it. Outside of an arcade where you've got, you know, 10 pence or 20 pence or whatever it was uh, uh, in America, a quarter or whatever, that quarter's worth of time buys you a bit of Book Rogers experience. Outside of that, this has no place in a home arcade conversion, no, because it was so poor and it doesn't vary either, which is the huge, you know, it's a huge problem. And like you say, later down the line, we get to Space Harrier, which is not, again, a very successful conversion for the Commodore 64. No. We'll come to that. Yeah, I mean, the arcade game probably doesn't meander too much from what it does, sort of thing. But you stick 10p in, you have a couple of minutes of fun, and you move on. You don't yeah, exactly you don't spend this and go. I bought this game and I'm now stuck with it. Yeah, you know. I think if, if you took a, if you took what was this game probably let's say seven eight pounds let's say it was an average eight pounds on average so divide that up by the amount of ten p's so and go and spend eight pounds for the ten p's on the book rogers arcade i bet you'd have as much fun and you wouldn't feel that pressure of owning it and having to reload it okay and that's it that's okay. our games that's the games we're going to cover so we did think about and we probably are going to sort of thing recommendations um maybe put some kind of list together of games that we think are still worth going back and having a look at um do you have any you think you want to put on there yeah i think in my for me out of all of those and let's face it this isn't a classically great <laughs> list <laughs> no it's not um i'm going to put two games out of our list i'm going to place cauldron and i'm going to put shadow fire okay um i, I like shadow fire but it was 
you know, it was a game that you need to really invest yourself into. That's not for me, but that doesn't mean it's not good. And Cauldron is a game that has a really good game world and game logic of its own, and it is hard, but you've got to persevere a little bit sometimes with these early 80s games, because if you don't, you just write them all off. So those two for me, Cauldron and uh, Shadowfire. Okay, I would agree on both of those. Uh, I would probably uh, stick Pathfinder in there as well. Um, Pathfinder, I think, is, is unusual enough to be worth a look. Um, I think it's 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 not very... I mean, like I said, I never played it at the time. I don't think it's got that much of a reputation. It's not something I had talked about very much. Um, but I think it's it's an unusual... Um, offering the player quite a lot of choice and it's quite unusual to play. Um, and like I said, it's, it's quite influential on some of the bigger games that would come out on the C64 later on, um, especially by Braybrook. Um, and I think that's, it is worth a look. So, yeah, so I think I think I agree with the other two. I think Shadowfire, definitely worth a look. It looks and sounds great, just whether you get on with the way it plays. Um, and certainly Cauldron, because just, you know, rock hard. But if you can get if you can master it, I think it's, it's a fun, fun game. So, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. Okay. As our recommendation. So, even, even from the dross. Here you go, games. We've picked some. Most weren't very good this month. Hopefully, things will pick up. Um, who knows? You know, it does though. This is this is what we. This is the beauty of this podcast is that we know that these the games all ramp up, and we haven't even got to that's true any of the sensible games. We haven't got to any of the Lucasfilm games. We haven't got to any of the Cinemaware games. There's so many amazing things to come up. This this I mean, it's issue one, and you know, but there's so many great issues to come, and so many amazing things to happen there. It's going to be it, there's some some really cool things. In there. That is true. That is true. It is. Don't judge it, it by this year. <laughs> no, don't judge it by this month. We'll, we'll, we'll get better. But hopefully, you know. <laughs> to be fair, it's always nicer to talk probably about the worst games. You can say more about them. It's, it's, hard, it's, it's hard to say. Yeah, this is really good. So you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, just going to round up. So we're going to round off. Sorry, um, with crapverts. Now, in between, obviously, the coverage we did last uh, in episode zero, which covered a, a big slew of. Uh, time from 82 to, you know, 80, before 85. Um, adverts did get better, but that isn't to say that they all got good. So there are some decent adverts, and we were picking some out. Um, a couple that sprang out to me, I don't know if you have looked through these, but the first one I want to pick out is the uh, Shadowfire advert, um, <laughs> if, you, if you want to have a look at that. Um, so Shadowfire advert sort of thing, you know. Um, so there's a, there's a picture of the box... Um, and there's the logo underneath it and beyond software. The thing is, the problem is, though, the box is on fire and they basically put some kind of fire effect across the whole thing, which makes it almost <laughs> ille- illegible. Yeah. So, you know, this is, you're like, what is this? Shit, I can't, oh, no. You just yeah. move on. So, not a great, you know, I get it. Shadow, there's a shadow on it and there's a fire on it. There's, you know, this is taking things quite literally. However, there's, there's literal and then there's going a bit too far and I think this has probably gone a bit too far I think because it almost makes you want, I can't even read what this is well it says on there we've created an adventure and removed the text when they blatantly haven't removed the text so really I can't remember which text well, you've got to have some writing on it right there's some dis- descriptive stuff but you know, it's all, you know, all icon driven isn't it yeah, it is but you know well maybe yeah maybe that's well maybe that's what they've done I mean they're kind of proud of that they're bragging about that on there but yeah no, right. it, I mean, it catches the eye though, right? I think it's like, oh wow, that game's on fire. That, <laughs> that, that, that must that must mean it's really great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess, and you know, I think my my thought is they put a shadow on it and it's on fire. They've literally done it literally. 
someone has just said, oh, what's this game called? Shadowfire. <laughs> right, okay. Just cover it with a shadow and put it on fire. Well, what makes me laugh is the top text, if we've text, text on there, says so we've created an adventure, you know, we've removed the text. And then in case you didn't understand what that meant, the text underneath really clearly explains, we've created icons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's just in case you didn't, in case that, you know, you don't get our inference, no, this is graphics. <laughs> and that text looks really badly, so it's placed really badly with bad boxes around it. That white text. Yeah. It's not great. Yeah. It's no, like it someone is, forgot to remove that. the box. Yeah, that's exactly what's happened there, you know. Someone's added I think someone I think someone from the magazine even might have added that on it because it <laughs> maybe I think they've given, I think I genuinely think they've been presented with the adverts. <laughs> and they've gone Look, that's great, but you know, where do you get it from? What does it mean? What's it about? And they've gone, oh, no, you're right. Put some white text on it in a block. To try and explain what it is. Because it does look really words. out of place. I mean, it honestly looks like Word comments. It's like someone's yeah. commented on that in Word, so not great. The next one I want to look at um, is if I'm going to try and describe this sort of thing. Actually, you probably... Well, yeah. uh, is the we, we covered the game, Shades, um, <laughs> and now we've got the advert for it. So yeah. th- this is some kind of abstract design that bears no relation to the game. Um, this no. is someone's gone mad with clip art yeah. um, that I can only make out. There's like it's it's a, mostly it's a white background. So I'll try and describe this sort of thing. It's a white background with some sort of isometric view of a a sort of a landscape with pointy you know fir trees, um, and in the background, well, well, crawling over one edge of it, there's a there's a clawed hand. There's a silhouette of of a, of a person. There's some clip art shapes in the background and in the top of this there's a blue ball there's a there's a there's a square with an eye in it and at the top it says s symbol h symbol you know it's a shade but it's just these weird symbol it's got nothing to do with the game no i mean and, absolutely nothing you know aside from the fact that your description just then sounded like you you'd <laughs> eat mushrooms <laughs> um you, you're exactly, you're exactly right. Now this is this is a Commodore 64 advert designed by Salvador Dali at best. <laughs> so this you know so this is you know uh, it's waterfall. more like his Mexican non-union counterpart. <laughs> <laughs> Salvio, Salvio <laughs> Dala, <laughs> Salvio Dala, create me an advert, and then here it is. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, you're right. Um, I'm not sure what it means. Why? And how that relates to a fully animated 3D adventure for one to four players extending over 64 colourful locations requires a joystick shouting. Um, <laughs> I don't get it. You know? and, and then there's like a yeah. film roll, a negative film roll underneath with really tiny screens that you kind of barely see. And I, I didn't realise this game was Durell. Mm. Well, of course, Durell, I've got an interesting... There's an interesting tale to tell about Durell software, of course, because they were the, the creators of Saboteur, which was an amazingly big and popular game on the Sinclair Spectrum, Commodore mm-hmm. 64 version, crap. But you no, know, so, so this is a Durell game, and they had a history of creating really, really weird games. Did Durell do the was a Durell com- game? Did Durell do the conversion of View to a Kill? Yes, yes, they did. And that was so, god awful. Yeah, so they had some odd licenses, they had some odd titles, and this one is no exception. And that artwork, such as you could call it, artwork. <laughs> It does. It's abstract beyond belief. It means nothing. And your description, you know, the only thing that missed out was the random eye, the isometric eye that's slightly below the giant drop-shadowed globe yeah, no. connected via lines to... Uh, it's just weird. It's all weird. And it doesn't actually mean anything in relation to that game. That game no. is nothing. Nothing like that. Nothing. No. So, you know, classic 
1985 game advert where the advert re literally relates in no way to the actual game itself in any capacity. No. And that's of, why we do these crap verts, though. Yeah, what kind of art packages were around then? Because it just seems like someone's just stuck every kind of thing they've got in the clip-out option. Do you know, I was, together. I was thinking the exact same thing. What did they use to create that? And I'm I've thinking no, that it, it must have been 1985. You're very limited in what software was around at the was time like, in terms of typesetting and graphics. Page so. Maker or something? I don't know if Page... Was it Page Maker? Could have been Page Maker. It might have even predated that and been something like Ready, Set, Go. Um, I don't know. It's I don't, garbage, I whatever it is. Know. Yeah, it might even have been, dare I say it, drawn by hand, which is <laughs> no, which would make sense if someone had no control over their hands. <laughs> it is a um, frightening you know, thought. Yeah, you know, like that movie where you know the hand comes to life and just does stuff. Um, you know, that's you know, you know, in this. In, yeah, you know, the hand. Yeah, in this version of the hand, it came to life and created that and made a game out of it. So, oh, that'd be brilliant. The hand. Makes um, crap Commodore 64 <laughs> games. You will be terrified. Yes. So, not a great advert for that game. In fact, not a great advert at all. But it's arguably a little bit more interesting than just a game on fire. Yeah, so. true, true. You know, we've talked about it, I think, more than it really deserves to be talked about because the game's awful. More interesting. Actually, the, that advert is more interesting than the game. That's true. Um, right. Um, what's next? There's a few I could choose from here. Um, I'm going to... <laughs> There's not much to say about this, but the full full page advert for Minder. <laughs> Again, <laughs> some kind of weird licensing. Minder was a very popular TV show in the UK. I think what we have to set the tone for here is the um, is the popularity of Minder. Which, if you actually described that show but didn't say the title to somebody, it would be, they'd be like, what? You know, take this into the modern world and say, right, Netflix are going to make a show about a guy that sells cars who's looked after by his mate, which is essentially the entire plot of Minder. <laughs> yeah. No, he's looked after by a kind of guy who can handle himself. Yeah, an Xboxer. You know, an Xboxer an, an Xbox looks after a car salesman who gets into mischief. You know, there's nothing about it yet. In the 80s, now, along with a million other shows of this type, they, it was that, I think it was something to do with the, the colloquial localization of things. Um, so when TV shows of this type were set in a place with a certain type of character, so, you know, um, the idea of uh, Minder, the idea of um, Del Trotter and um, those kind of TV shows and Avida Zane Pet, where there's the, you know, I think there's a there is some kind of British colloquial humour that, that these t programs seem to land and hit. Um, there's one with um, there was well there's there's, there's a numerous um, types of this show around. Now how they made that into a game? That's what I was just thinking. If you think that the description of what you just said, you know, Xboxer looks after mate who sells cars. How's that a game? In what way does this lend know. itself to, for someone to go? You know what? Mine is quite big. Make a game out of it. Well, but no, what no. worries me. What worries me most of all is that at some point an artist was confronted with the idea of making um, those two characters from that game into an 8-bit playable animated <laughs> character. And so, what was his name? Was it Terry Nutkins? Was that his name in that? Or am I getting that mixed up with somebody else? No, Terry Nutkins. It's, uh, it's Terry. It's Alpha Daly. Alpha um, Daly and, and Terry Strong. Or Big <laughs> Ted. Terry Strong. <laughs> it's just, yeah, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was, and then there was 
I'm hoping Dave's a bar. bar <laughs> yeah, sort him it's out, all mate. I'm hoping. So, I never played this game, so hopefully we get chance to. <laughs> well, well, what you know is that you know, aside from that image in the advert, which is hands and wrists in so many weird places that it almost breaks your brain <laughs> looking at it. Um, apart from that, because um, this, if you look at it, it's like there's obviously Arthur Daly's got a right hand and a left hand, and Terry Nutkins. Terry Strong, whatever his name actually is, <laughs> he's got that. He's got that Arteza's Arteza. There. He's got his glass and his arm tucked under his armpit. He just—it's all weird. The, the logic and the, yeah. the layout of that picture are weird. So there's an eight-bit version of them somewhere. I, I actually might have to invest a moment hey, I, I at think, some point. I think see we owe it to ourselves. Eight-bit eight Arthur Daly sounds like, and that. By the way, it's such a great title for an 8-bit album if you're a music creator. <laughs> Feel free to make an 8-bit Arthur Daly. Because he did he did release songs, Arthur Daly, Little Dodgy Baby, and Chaz and Dave released that, didn't they? Underneath is alright. That was that was their hit. He did. They had hits. In fact, the, what is his name? The guy who's in this. The guy, the minder guy. What's his actual... Anyway, he had a hit with the song from the show, right? He sang it, though. So. Yeah, yeah, I should be so good for you. Yeah. Den- but, Dennis Waterman. Dennis Waterman, but, you know, his name wasn't Big Den or... Denny no, the Menace. That's it his was... real name, Dennis Waterman. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's, it's, so, called, but, it's just Terry... Terry Strong. Some, <laughs> Terry something. So I can't look Terry... at this advert any longer. It's just, <laughs> just Arthur Daly and Terry Strong looking at me, drinking something, and then DK Tronics <laughs> trying yeah. to make a game yeah, exactly. out of it. But that's what I mean, but classic, no description of what the game is, no description of what you have to do, nothing other than licensed. It's licensed, therefore it must be good. And there's Thames logo on there just to add extra weight. And it's av- available across a range of microcomputers. Yeah, and who's going to buy that? You know, no 8, 9, 10-year-old kid's going to go, Dad, can I have that Minder game? Because it looks so great. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, some, some, this is, you know, this is dad games, right? This is games for dads. You know, we, you know, we may who, be missing out on a classic here. There is a chance. Well, I don't think, we'll I don't think it, it will think, be. You know, <laughs> I'll, it, you know, I'll play it and I'll bring, you know, I'll bring some thoughts to the next podcast. I'm reasonably sure my my I can pretty much guess second okay. guess my own response, which is this this game is crap. But you know what? I'm going to start there and work my way back. Let's see where mm-hmm. you know, let me be surprised by it. All right. I think that's what maybe we need to do is maybe some of these games we don't know from these adverts is actually go and look at them and report back. Well, you know what? I'm going to make a point of playing Minder. I've got a feeling it's good, there's going to be text in it. I've got, I've got this <laughs> for yeah, some terror. reason. I've got this. <laughs> yeah, tell. Yeah. Ter- Terry, go north. Fight. <laughs> <laughs> right enough about minder the next one i want to talk about um just quickly briefly um this is not a terrible advert but there's just a part of it that i do that does make me laugh and this is the uh this is griffin uh tony yeah, crowler's quicksilver yes. um now this is a you know a a, a, a vaguely decent you know app bit of art of a, of a what yep. looks like a griffin um yeah um in a fantasy land with a you know some foliage and a tree behind him but the, the it's the expression on the griffin's face <laughs> as he looks up towards this black snooker ball in the sky is heading that a towards ball? him. What is that? I don't know. I thought it was a black snooker ball that's heading towards him that really has got him quite worried. Um, that you know, uh, uh, it has really sort of struck with me, and, I, and I'm, I'm I'm quite concerned for this griffin um, and that that snooker ball heading for him from the sky. Uh, because you know the rest of the paintings is all right. You know uh, the arms freak well, me out a little bit. Um, well, yeah. I mean, what perturbed me about this it was aside from the really. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I can't draw anything, so you know, that is pretty good in my estimation. Whether he's looking at a snooker ball and thinking, why is that not on a snooker table? That's irrelevant. What threw me 
was the screens on the bottom left-hand corner, which what game always features the title of the game at the top, yep. no matter what screen you're on? And is that shooting giant skulls? So it, no, and, and there's a city background at the bottom as well. So and the map also features in the background of the image. So I'm guessing at some point the Griffin, uh, Griffin, sorry, fights in a city. It's obviously one of those shoot 'em up type games. But you no, know, if those graphics are the, because I know that Tony Crowther is a very accomplished programmer. So that that kind of piques my interest a little bit to think, okay, Tony Tony Crowther's behind this. The guy can program. There's no doubt about that. So I'd be intrigued to look at this. But I have this horrible feeling that all my expectations are going to be dashed, <laughs> like, uh, like you know, like a snowball when it's thrown against a wall. Um, you know, and I think yes, you no. Know, as much as it looks exciting and relatively enticing in those screen grabs, when they're screen sized, um, it's going to be some kind of blocky, horrific Griffin nightmare. Well, I noticed but- that in that the bottom screenshot sort of thing, the Griffin is facing front on to the camera. Yeah, so it's I making me that. think, like, is this some kind of Griffin choplifter? Oh, God, imagine that grifflifter. <laughs> Ch- chop <Yeah>. on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and do you know what? The thing is, I, the, and there's a rule about Commodore 64 games at this time. In 1985, it changes later. But in 1985, the more sprites they want to put on there, they just make them bigger. Yeah. So you end up with these big balloon looking you know super expanded sprites which was it was never a good mode of graphics no nothing nothing in pixels is ever great if it's expanded twice its size it just looks kind of blockier and just looking at those in that small format makes me think that that griffin is massive on the screen and those skulls are going to be really big no tiny little skulls like that they look quite detailed okay expand that to the full size of a tv and, you know, you're going to end up with one or two of those. Wob- and you can tell they wobble up and down. They're mm-hmm. an up and down wobbler. Um, <laughs> and, and, and you just know that um, this game involves you shooting left and right and maybe even dropping bombs downwards. There's going to be an uncomfortable moment, isn't there, when you're facing forwards, dropping bombs. It's going to look like you're dropping shit. There's no way around that. It's going to be bad. So, yeah, it's going to look like you're shitting on things. So you're going to mm-hmm. shoot left and right out your mouth, but the bottom one is going to come out of, of this griffin's bottom. Mm-hmm. So no, and, no. and maybe we'll have a look at it. Game, like, we'll look at it. You know, we should. I, I'm wondering sort of thing. Some of these, I, I'm going to actually look to see if they actually do get covered in the magazine. If they do actually yeah. come up in the months, we'll we'll hit them in the months they actually appear in. Yeah. Um, well, but, we, we, I think we probably will. And also, you notice there it says in association with the Wizard Development Company. So my feeling is that this is a, and this is a Tony Crowther thing actually, and we'll discover this later down the line. He often works in co-productions with other developers as well. So he often is the programmer because he, you know, graphics maybe not his strength. I don't know. We'll we'll discover this as we go along. There's a load of interviews in Zach with. I think there's one in this issue, isn't there, with Tony? Yeah, Brown, or is that there with, is. Yeah, yeah. No, and at this point he's 19, I think. Or, yeah, he's a bit of a, post, bit of a poster boy for British British code yeah, money. You know, later, time. of course, it became the Darlings and there's others as well. And but we'll come we'll come to all of that and the whole you know tale of the. The games that you know, the game companies that came about, the Houston's and the and others as well. There's so many, so many amazing things to, to see and do. But not what our last advert probably is like, and our last advert is the last advert put in there, which is Super Grand. Yeah. So like Minder, bef- so like Minder before it, Super Grand was a TV show that for some reason was popular in the '80s, kind of similar in tone to something like Metal Mickey, um, which you know, it's kind of a light-hearted um 
you know, the character of Supergram was this old woman who was, a, you know, a bit on the sort of inventive, crazy side. I don't really remember that much about it. Um, I think was she, she was, was she Scottish or Geordie? Yeah, um, yeah, Scottish, I think. A Scottish sort of thing, and I, I can't really remember sort of thing. So, but there's obviously Actually, a, probably Geordie because it's Tainties, isn't it? It is so. Tainties, yeah. So that, again, somebody's gone. That's popular. Make a game of it, and so. Um, the blurb on this, I mean, if you register this, you can get a free 16 by 24. Don't say what measurement, full color poster. So it could, it could be 16 bananas by 24, but I don't know. Um, 16, by, 16 by 24 feet. I mean, imagine a 16 by 24 feet picture of Super Grand turning up at your house. Um, your mum's not going to be happy. Um, but it says this great new game is based on the Time Teen series Super Grand and produced in association with Time Teen's television. Supergram will be available for the C- uh, for the Commodores and everything sort of thing. Um, the Atari, and this is what I found interesting, Atari and Einstein to follow. <laughs> I, what is what, that? What's the Einstein? That is not a computer of that era I'm familiar with. No, neither am I. Yeah. But, you know, so, they obviously... You know, I've heard of the others, but I've never heard of an Einstein. And they don't even... They grouped that in with the BBC, MSX, Atari and Einstein. Yeah, Maybe I, that was I mean, just something released in... I don't Maybe it's just something released in Newcastle. <laughs> I don't know. Is that a real thing? I've never heard of the I've Einstein. Never heard of it. But you know, someone might correct us, and a Google search will probably reveal it. But and my feeling is, you know, any game that brands itself especially written for kids <laughs> tells me that uh, that uh, it's not going to be great. You know, there's no game images on it whatsoever. Always a bit of a you know, and that's funny enough. That's something that prevails to this day. This is the that that's the cutscene in a game that's crap. You know, and, and you know, in modern parlance. No, then that happened. It doesn't happen so much now, actually, because most game footage is game engine based. But no, it wasn't that long ago when you when you saw the game adverts and you were like, "Wow, that is that looks like an amazing game," and then you realise that the ga- the graphics in the game advert were nothing like the game itself. And no, just to say that the 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 advert here is actually focusing just a single image is a picture of Superground in what can only be described as some kind of weird Da Vinci esque flying machine. Yeah, it's, um, it's, she's, she's, that's in the TV show. Yeah, she's in a she's on a bike, uh, which has been changed into some kind of, you know, flying machine with the addition of yes, what looks like a cut up bin liner on above it. It's rubbish. It's awful. So yeah, she in the t- in the TV show she flies. Oh yeah. When I say fly, she actually sort of appears on a an, a really horrific blue screen background. I, with I that, can you know I can what, well what, that wobbly kind of footage in the background. You know you know the type. You've I seen do. the type. But it just begs the question, sort of thing, is that what this does show, this and mind, and the reason that I wanted to include them, sort of thing, was it's just anything was fair game to be changed, to be, yes. you know, to be made into a game at this point, sort of thing. This is, you know, this is, you know, two years after the crash in America. This is 1985, and it's like people have not learned anything um, from the fact of, like, if you produce dross, you know, essentially something bad will happen. Luckily, we never got it as bad, sort of thing, but this is a really good example of the fact of, like, Anything, just you know, stick stick a game in it. Kids will want it, and and it's you know, this was you know, this will be a terrible game, um, and you know, just anything that can be licensed was being licensed back then with no thought for the actual product. Probably, I, I, I wait to be you know, Minder might be amazing, might be a, a lost classic. I'm betting it's not, but there you go. I think on that, I think we're done. That's it. That's it. Yeah, the crap verts are done. So I'm going to go off and play I'm going to find Minder and play it because uh, I desperately want to see whether... I want to see an 8-bit... No, Terry Nutkins. I know that's not his name. <laughs> Nutkins. 
<laughs> I don't know why. But I want him to be Terry Nutkins. I don't know why, but I'm going to find out what Arthur Daly and Terry Strong, Terry Nutkins, Tezza, um, what they're like. So I'm, that's my mission for the next podcast is to look into that. And I know it's going to be. Ru- I know. I know. And I, you know what? It'll be my luck. It'll be text based. I'm just going to get there. It'll be like, wow, welcome to Minder. <laughs> it's it's what you deserve. Sell the car. If I'm honest. You've sold the car. <laughs> He's not happy about the engine. The engine's dodgy. Terry! <laughs> Order drink from Dave. <laughs> Set Terry on. Person that bought the car. <laughs> do, 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 do. do. <laughs> that could be so good. There'll be a horrible 8-bit version of that as well, won't there? I know it. There will be. This is all, It's a voyage of discovery with these 85 games, it is. Who knows? All right, so on that note, we will be back uh, with another episode of Zap to the Past. We'll be looking at june 85 uh yes the affectionately titled episode two (laughs) yeah uh so listen out for that we hope you've enjoyed this um and we will see you again soon thanks for listening and goodbye thank you for listening to the zap to the past podcast we hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of commodore 64 games as well as the music sites sounds and news from around the 1980s driven of course by the issue of zap 64 magazine published at the time We will be back next week with another podcast, so do please join us. Until then, please head over to zaptothepast.com to sign up to our email list, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. You will also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram under Zap to the Past. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe and see you next time.